0: We're going to talk about our identity, and our identity is something that's being attacked everywhere in life right now. And so you're either going to struggle to find your own identity, or you're going to be defined by someone else's identity on you, or you're going to learn what the Lord Jesus Christ has to say about his identity on you. And I love the worship songs we sang because it was all about identity. I'm not a slave to fear any longer. I'm at the foot of the cross. His blood washes over me. Amen? So if you look at your outline, the first thing I have for us to do is if you have a little pen or pencil, don't look at anybody else's. I know you might think you uh, know the right answer but I want you to look at these questions and ask yourself, honestly, is this the way you feel? And if you don't have a pen or something, you can. I, we all take our outlines home, right? Right, this is something to study. Okay, so honestly, how do you view yourself right now? Do you view, view yourself fallen or holy in Christ? Do you view yourself a slave to sin? or a righteous saint do you view yourself a lawbreaker or a person justified by grace do you see yourself in your life pierced by thorns or do you see yourself wearing a crown of life i believe that if we are to honestly view ourselves the way God views us, and when we can answer these questions the way God answers them over us, we will have life change forever. Amen? We won't be looking to the world. We won't be looking to our own strength. We won't be looking to society to define us, but we're going to look to the Word of God to define us. That's the point. Now, our culture is trying to define everything you do and how you think and it's interesting that identity theft is one of the greatest thieverys happening today it's the primary consumer complaint in fact I was researching this and medical identity theft is the highest thievery going on right now even more than other data breaches and so what thieves are doing is they're trying to take your identity and use it as they will Now, there's another thief that does the same thing to your identity. His name is Satan. You see, God has given us an identity in Christ, but Satan comes to steal that identity and make it into his own will for your life. And as Christians, we struggle, don't we? We struggle with, okay, so I'm saved, but does God really love me? I mean, certainly he can't be proud of me. I don't know, I see myself as a fallen sinner, I struggle, I this, I that, and we put eyes on us. We put adjectives on our lives, and the world is no different. Look what's going on. We have gender identity just exploding right now. What's going on with that? People have been so deceived that now they don't know whether they're a male or a female, They are trying to get identity through sexuality. We had previous identity issues with feminism. You know, you can't open a door. You know, a man tries to open a door for a woman. No, I'm strong, thank you very much. I don't need you opening the door for me. Okay, this goes back to Genesis 3, 16 with a curse where God said, The woman will desire to overtake the man, but she won't be able to. This is after the fall and everything else. And we see that in feminism, progressivism, and we also see identity theft in us comparing ourselves by ourselves, even in the church. Churches comparing themselves one to another. Paul said, if you compare yourself by yourself, you're not wise. Isn't that interesting? Why? We're not here to better... You know, I'm better than you, you're better than me, I want to try and be better, work in my own strength. We're here to glorify God. Every other place of identity is one of self-glory. If I want to find my identity in my sexuality, then that's being perverted into what I feel, what I want to experience, everything else. If I find my identity in my gender, a man versus a woman, the gender wars, that's experiencing one-upmanship, which is Pride if it's identity and career i'm trying to climb the ladder so i can say look i've made the american dream i have it all now i can buy a house and i have two and a half kids and you know we compare these types of identities but what does god say well the first thing we see is god says there is neither jew nor gentile neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female but you are all one In Christ Jesus, that's Galatians 3.28, amen. And this really comes against everything we're seeing in our culture, right? We just, we classified gender, we classified sensuality, we classified slavery. We have a whole thing going on back to the Civil War and just Charlottesville, what just happened recently, okay, we have this verse is showing everything we're struggling with right now in our culture. Isn't that interesting? Now, why does identity matter? Why am I even preaching this? Your whole life and what you do once you walk out of those doors, your whole life is based on how you view yourself. And the goal is not to get the ideology of the world, which is to pep-talk yourself. I'm going to pep-talk myself into being a better person I'm going to be positive thinking. I'm going to just bestow on myself every good thing I can think of myself. The goal is to speak over your life what God speaks over you. Why? Because only God has the power to back that up. You see, what we're going to learn, and we're going to go through some stuff, God, he had me going through Romans. Romans. And that is an interesting book to study. You'll study it the rest of your life. One of the most in-depth, profound theological books in the Bible. And God had me going over that today in the last few weeks. But what you're going to find is that Jesus Christ backs up our identity because of the price paid. You see, if I say, I identify myself as an elite Olympian athlete right now. Now, you guys might say, that's good for you but can you back it up? What's your 100-meter sprint time? What's your body percent fat? You know, what what are you doing? Can you really compete? Well, I'm just speaking positivity over myself. (laughs) Well, it only goes so far. And, you know, I would argue, how is that any different than a man saying, I think I'm a woman today, and I'm going to dress up in women's clothing? which is what is going on. You see, if we only look at positivity and being nice and hoping for good things and trying to feel good, then we're no different than the world and we'll be always disappointed. But I'm going to say it again. Only Jesus Christ backs up the statement of who you are. Because only Jesus Christ paid the price. And only Jesus Christ died and rose again. And only Jesus Christ defeated sin, death, hell, the grave, Satan, and bought you eternally into his presence. He bought you. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So when we say, I am a child of God, when we sing it, we sing it not because we're trying to, be positive about our life but because we really are a child of God by the price paid does that make sense yeah. so it's more than positive thinking amen hallelujah so praise God now how do you see yourself Let's open up our outlines here and we're going to go through this a little bit and this is going to be a journey And i do hope that you take it home and that you study it and um i i believe that this is only going to just pinpoint a little aspect of your identity because i honestly believe for the rest of eternity we're going to be discovering really what christ has done for us so it's It was a bit of a challenge, but I thank the Lord. I was like, by faith, I'm going to do this message. By faith, I'm going to go search the word. But this is something much more than a 30-minute, 40-minute message. This is a lifestyle. And if we can live this out by seeing day-to-day who you are in Christ, by seeing it, by living it, by confessing it over your life, You're not going to be bound anymore to Satan's lies over you. So the original identity, God's original identity, we go to Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke it. In the beginning, God. The greatest fake news story of the century is evolution. And the very first thing Satan comes to do is take away your god-given identity and say, you're a random mutated chance that somehow got on the earth." And if you really study it, pans, panspermia, which is the it's a theory that alien seeded Earth, that's actually what the greatest minds in evolution are saying, because the big Bang if you I don't believe in the Big Bang because God spoke and it was done. But their version of a Big Bang happening did not create biogenesis. That means life did not come out of that. In fact, the first thing, if you're ever going to argue with an evolutionist or an atheist, you can start saying, "Um, prove to me how biogenesis happened. Biogenesis states non-life can never produce life. You never see a rock giving birth to a baby, human, or an animal, right? So the problem with the atheist evolutionist is in that first statement right there before we even get into that. And I'll get into that, that in another message. But the first problem is, how did the Big Bang create life on Earth for evolution to even start? How did that first cell get on Earth? They don't have an answer. Their answer is that advanced life forms that somehow themselves got created seeded the Earth with the first evidence of life. That's evolution, and that's what they're not really showing you. I study this, and I do go head-to-head, hand-to-hand with scientists, because the Lord has called me to do that and called me to study this. And when you start looking at it, don't ever be deceived and think of yourself, oh man, I don't want to speak up for my faith because it might seem weird. Let me tell you something, evolution is weird. It's idiotic, it's not logical. It's not even logical among science. It's not science. They have to create new laws all the time. So the very first stripping of identity is to take away God said. Now, since God did say, let there be light, and since God created you and me, our identity is based off of him. Amen? As creator. So, I'm going to give you four Keys of identity that God established when creating mankind. The first piece of identity was the identity of holiness. How did God create the animals? Spoke. How did God create Adam? He formed him. Spoke to the dirt, but he formed Adam with his hands, and then he blew into Adam the breath of life. That is holy. That is different. Holy means you're set apart. I'm set apart. Okay? I'm not the same. I'm not common. God changed it all up with Adam. Did he have to? No. God showed us holiness. God breathed his breath of life into Adam. He did not do that with the animals. So the first point is you are holy Because God breathed his breath of life in you, you're made in the image of God. And I always love how Pastor did this. He took a a glove, and I couldn't find a glove, (laughs) but it shows you I don't really work in the yard much, but um, (laughs) imagine I have a glove right here. Pastor took a glove, and if you had a glove right here just crumpled in a ball, you'd say, does that look like a glove? No. What is the image of a glove made in? What is the image of a glove made in? It's made in the image of a hand. Why? Because a hand comes and fills the glove. We're made in the image of God because God comes and fills us. We're vessels of God. God doesn't come and fill an animal. Okay? And it's different. Holy. Holy. Key. If God doesn't fill you, something or someone else will. And that's what we see even in Christendom. Two. Two an identity of righteousness. Righteousness means right standing with God. Remember, we asked this question on the first page. Are you righteous? Are you really righteous? Do you do you you see yourself as a righteous saint? Well, God Created Adam and Eve not only as holy, not only in his image, but as righteous, meaning they walked and talked with God. They were in right standing with God. They had the language of God. Has anyone ever thought what that language sounded like? The language of Elohim. Wow. No interpretation needed. They walked and talked with God, right standing, right with God, unashamed, naked, but covered with the glory of God. No need for clothes. Hallelujah. What's the key on that? Here's the key with that. They had nothing to do with their righteousness. It was based on who God is. God made them righteous because God is righteous and God determined it to be. They didn't have to spend millions of years trying to earn God's favor and righteousness or to do some great deed in the garden Or to be the best and better one another and say, now I've earned God's righteousness. No, God made them right standing because God. That's it. That's a good key for us to take home tonight. Because if you don't take that home, you're going to go out the store thinking you need to prove yourself to God. Even though you're a Christian, you need to be righteous in your own strength. And it will never work. Period. Three, God gave them an identity of grace. This is the power to do what God has called you to do. This is not, I get to do whatever I want to do. That's what modern churchianity in America has created it to be. Some people have a slogan called greasy grace or whatever, but it really is a detriment to the identity that God has given, meaning God said, this is a key right here. You don't need law to govern you. You can have grace. You don't need law. God trusted them so much that he gave them a boundary. Don't eat of that tree. Why? They didn't need to know right from wrong. That was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't need to know that. They were in grace. They didn't need a governing committee. They didn't need a government. They didn't need a boss. God wasn't their boss. They had grace. They could do what they wanted because they walked with God. And in walking with God, they didn't need to be told, do this, don't do that. Go over here, don't go over there. All these restrictions, they didn't have it. They had grace. Grace supersedes law. We're going to go over that. This is a huge key in Romans. If you study the theology of Romans, you're going to understand that Paul wrestles with grace and law. And this is what we face as Christians today. Legalism, you're trying to be legalistic. On the other side, I'm filled with grace so I can do whatever I want. And the balance is grace is is the power to do what God wants you to do. And what God wants us to do is always good because God is good and he has his best for us. Amen? He's not, what did Satan come to do? No, God doesn't have his best for you. He's keeping stuff from you. You've got to do it yourself in your own strength. Okay? The fourth key of identity, blessed fruitfulness. You see, seed, time, and harvest was created in the garden god said be fruitful and multiply subdue fill the earth and this is a key in this the holy spirit gave me this idea they built upon the perfection of god have you ever thought of that god created this is before sin everything's perfect everything's good god said name the animals god didn't name the animals he allowed adam to build upon perfection because adam is a son of god Adam is building upon what God called him to do. And so you have a garden, which is perfect, and God's saying, I want you to make it more perfect. I want you to cultivate it to increase more. And we see that with Jesus constantly saying, I want you to produce fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. But this was done before sin, guys. This is amazing. This is the blessed fruitfulness that's an identity bestowed upon each one of us see god's not called you to be fruitless he's called you to be fruitful he's given you talents and he says build upon it the servant with the one talent buried it jesus said build upon it he wasn't upset that he only gave him one he wasn't punishing him he gave him what he could handle the servant with the 10 built upon it we live like well god's put me in this little box and i'm not going to do anything that's what the servant did God's a hard master. I can't, I can't please him ever, so I'm going to bury it, and then God's going to do what he wants to. God's sovereign. I don't need to do anything. No, God says build upon what you've been given. You have a gift for music? Practice. Build upon it. You have a gift for preaching? Study. You have a gift for teaching? Study. Build upon it. Well, God just gave me the gift. God gave you a gift to cultivate. He gave us a garden to cultivate. Fruitfulness. Amen. Point number two, Satan's stolen identity. So we've gone over the four main identities. Holiness, righteousness, grace, and blessed fruitfulness. Those are yours. Hallelujah. But what happened? What holy, the holy became fallen. See, when Adam put his faith, in Satan's promise. Think of that way. Adam used his faith to believe Satan over God. Adam put his faith in what Satan said and doubted what God said. And so Adam's faith, placed in Satan's deceit, created fallen nature. The first thing that we see, the holy, which could walk and talk with God, which was set apart, now became common. All humanity is fallen. All humanity has sinned. Romans 3:10. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's not holiness. That's common fallenness. They were separated from God immediately. Remember the uh, the burning sword going back and forth, closed off the Garden of Eden eternally, forever from them. They now were clothed in shame, and they used their own efforts and righteousness to try and be right with God, which was fig leaves. That was their own righteousness. That was their own effort to try and cover their nakedness, which is exactly what happens. Sin comes into our life. It exposes our weakness. It brings us shame. And then we say, I got to do something about it. I got to cover up a little bit. I got to promote myself and act like I'm really better than at least that person over there. (laughs) I I I need to compare. I need to do, I need to work. So they tried to cover themselves, and God said, no. This is where atonement came from. The blood sacrifice was right here in the garden. God had to kill an animal and clothe them with skins of animals. This is where the blood sacrifice started all the way up to Jesus, who is now our high priest Hebrews says whose blood is infinitely better than the blood of animals but this is where it happened why Leviticus 17 says life is in the blood when sin came death came to cover sin to cover death means the death of something in one's place atonement blood not a fig leaf that's what's happening today that's what's happened with a lot of churchianity it's not that big of a deal It's not too bad to be worldly. I don't really mind. God must not mind. I don't feel convicted. God's not worried. Sin affected God so much, he sent his one and only beloved son, Christ, God in the flesh, to die for us. That's... The power of God's righteousness over sin, it requires blood. So for anybody to say it's not big of a deal has missed grace, has missed righteousness, has, they have missed the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And that's what my heart longs to reinstate in the body of Christ today. Number two, Satan's stolen identity turned righteousness into slavery, we sang, "I'm not a slave to fear," Amen. But guess what? Apart from Christ, you are a slave. You are bound eternally to hell because you cannot overcome your own sin, my own sin. We are slaves, bound to sin. Egypt represents the world. The children of Israel were in Egypt, enslaved. This is the year of Exodus, pastor's talking about. What happened? They had an exodus with great miracles, God doing mighty works, parting the Red Sea, amazing things, amen, miracles upon miracles, God coming and walking with them, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of what by day? Cloud. I just see it swirling, right? He led them. But did Egypt ever get out of them? It's one thing to walk away from Egypt. It's another thing to have Egypt still inside one's heart. That's why they couldn't enter the promise. You see, because they would rather go back to Egypt because at least they had the food. At least they had semblance of normalcy. They had a little bit of protection, here in the wilderness and this promised land that God's brought, I don't know about it. It's too hard. Ah, I can't do it. God delivered them from Egypt, but they never let go of Egypt in their heart. They were bound to it, slaves of Egypt. That's not our identity. Amen. And we're gonna discover why. But this is the identity Satan's come to bring us into slaves bound to sin. Romans 6.20 says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from your allegiance to righteousness. See, you can only be a slave to sin, doing whatever you want, and then you try and stop, but you're still going to be bound to it, and that's when it gets really detrimental. Or you're going to be a slave to righteousness, doing what the Lord has called you to do, being right standing with God, being led by the Spirit, being endued and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? But you're not going to be in the middle doing whatever you want. Paul promises you're not free in this regard. The flesh wars against the Spirit. The Spirit wars against the flesh. You're not free from this. You need to decide Where are you going to follow who you're going to have an identity in? An identity in the old man, in the flesh, bound to Egypt, or an identity as a slave of Christ? Hallelujah. A slave of Christ. The only one capable of delivering us. Only one capable of truly loving us and fulfilling every desire we have because he changes our desires to his, which are perfect for us. And he doesn't leave us naked and afraid. He's a good shepherd who blocks out the wolf, who says, I will lead you to streams of still waters. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take on my yoke, for it is light and my burden is easy. Hallelujah. Come on. I'm excited here. This is what, you can't leave these doors and not be excited tonight. Cole's going to be up a little longer being excited tonight. Come on. You're going to be excited. Woo! Hallelujah. Now check this out. Point number three under Satan's identity. This is very interesting. Grace became the law, and we became lawbreakers. Grace became the law, and now we became lawbreakers. You see, what did Moses write? Well, what did God write on the law? That Moses carried down from Mount Sinai. He wrote on something. The tablets of what? Stone. And the first thing that happened is Moses always struggled with anger. So Moses gets down from the mountain, and what's happening? The Israelites have already gone into disaster. They're worshiping a golden calf, and Moses slams the tablets down, and they are destroyed, and and then he grinds the calf up and makes him drink it. I mean, (laughs) then Moses had to go back up on the mountain, and God had to rewrite the law, like, okay, God, I'm sorry, I broke your law already. Before we even started to read it, I broke it. Literally broke it. Come on, (laughs) but that's what happens. That's what happens. The law is always broken, And it's such a beautiful picture. See, you can't bend stone. You can either have it the way it is, or you can break it, but you're not bending it like wood or plastics or steel or anything like that. Stone, the law, is either obeyed or it's broken. The problem is we've all broken it. And Jesus said, it doesn't even matter if you've obeyed in the letter of the law. So what happens when you're driving down Highway 50 and you see in your rear-view mirror, the CHP, California Highway Patrol. You look at your speed limit. You look at it very quickly, and you're very intently making sure you are abiding by that law. But let me ask you a question. Are you abiding by the law because you love the law? Because you are caring about your fellow drivers around you? Because you put them first and you say, you know, I'm late for my meeting, but I know you got to go somewhere that's more important, so I'm going to just drive slow. I'm going to drive and obey because I love the law and I want to do good and my heart is pure. No, you obey the law because you don't want a ticket. That's the truth. And Jesus says, that's breaking the law. And I can prove it in Matthew 5, 28. Jesus said, you heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm over here. I've never been married. I've never been with anybody. I haven't committed adultery. Hallelujah. Well, then Jesus had to go on a little bit further. Jesus said, if any man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery. So no one can get away from breaking the law. If you haven't committed adultery physically, you've committed adultery internally lusting. If you haven't committed murder, he said, you've committed murder by hating your brother. So we're all lawbreakers, all of us. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we've broken that law time and time again. And that has been because we fell from grace. That is the binding of Satan. 1 Corinthians 15.56 is a very interesting verse. The power of sin is the law. Notice, Paul didn't say the power of sin is Satan. The power of sin is the law. If there was no law, you wouldn't be in sin. Right? But the law is there because your heart is wrong. What happened in Judges? Israel did whatever they wanted. They had no law, and it was anarchy. It was complete chaos, We see a terrible story of a woman being raped and cut up and everything else like that. It's a very graphic book. Why? Because there was no law. So the people's hearts came out in full force and they did whatever they wanted. And it's where America's going. Complete anarchy, completely down the drain. Because without law, we are free to do lawlessness. We don't do righteousness. We do lawlessness. However... If you're in Christ, that's a different story. Because grace comes and grace says, my heart is changed. My life is changed. I'm a new creature in Christ. The old man is crucified. The new man is raised up. I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live according to the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Amen. Come on. That's the word of God. Galatians 2:20. Hallelujah. Fourth thing. So remember the fourth was blessed fruitfulness? Now under Satan's stolen identity, we have fruitfulness becomes cursed by thorns. What happened? Thorns came out of the ground and God called it a curse. And these thorns, look, Genesis 3, 17 through 18, Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Okay, God's original identity, holy, righteous, filled with grace, blessed fruitfulness, Satan's stolen identity, fallen, slaves to sin, lawbreakers, and cursed by thorns. We all together? We're going fast. But this is the truth. Now we're going to turn the tide. We're going to turn the signal right now. Because if I I left right here, we all walked out. We'd be like, oh, man, looks like Satan won. I mean, this is pretty bad identity. You know, we started good identity. Now we're like fallen identity, lawbreakers, thorns and thistles. What's going on? (laughs) Adulterers, people speeding and not liking the law yeah guilty guilty amen guilty but here's the last point point number three and this is the most important point point. and we need to be together on this christ's transformed identity christ's transformed identity Amen. God had an original identity. Satan stole an identity. Now Christ has transformed an identity. And the reason the Holy Spirit gave that to me wasn't like Christ gave an identity. No, he transformed an identity. It's so much more powerful. See, God says, I'll take your ashes and turn them into beauty. Hallelujah. I'll transform you from the old man into the new man, from the old woman to the new woman. That's that power of Christ. That is where we're going to leave on this note, and we're going to go out transformed, never again to say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, people say that, and I want us to to take a moment right now. Look, 1 John 1, 9. If anyone says he's without sin, he deceives himself, then truth is not in him. But if he confesses his sins, God is faithful and just to forgive him of his sins and cleanse him from all unrighteousness. Cool, but John builds on that. By 1 John 3, we say... John's like, if you know God, anyone who knows God keeps himself from sin and doesn't sin. That's the continuing of sin, right? So John takes that truth. Yes, you're a sinner, but you can confess, and God's forgiven you. But look at what the Bible always calls you by. You can call yourself a sinner saved by grace, and we sort of tack on the saved by grace. We don't even think about it. I'm a sinner, Say by grace, whatever that is. But the Bible says you're a saint. How did Paul address the Corinthians who were living in sin, who were getting drunk at communion, who were gorging themselves on meat, who were, their, their women were immodest, dressing like the temple prostitutes, and they had a guy in there sleeping with his mom. In church, this is the Corinthians. Paul addresses them as saints. Let that sink in. God always addresses you by your new nature. So why don't we? Because of fear. Well, if I start talking like I'm a new creation and the old is gone and I'm not a sinner saved by grace in that sense, but I'm now transformed into grace upon grace and newness and I'm a child and I'm justified. People say, well, you're just excusing sin. I'll tell you this. The people who say, I'm a sinner, so bad, I'm just a worm, and everything else, and they don't talk about God's grace, they're the ones who justify sin because then they go on and say, I'm only human. I can't help myself. That's justifying sin. Living by the new nature and saying, no, you can't help yourself, but Christ did it all, and now you don't even have to be bound anymore. That's the new nature. Therefore, we don't have to make excuses for sin. We live in Christ's new identity. Hallelujah. The first point, the fallen, he is making holy by faith. He is making holy by faith. This is the sanctif- sanctification of Christ. We are glorified. We are brought near. We are reconciled. We can enter the holy of holies. Hallelujah. Christ restores the relationship with the Father. What do he do with that? temple curtain that was 40 feet tall the curtain was ripped in two the curtain was ripped right down the middle when christ died when he was crucified and all that that curtain was into the holy of holies of the temple where the priest had to have a little bell around his ankle and if he went in wrong he'd be struck down dead that curtain was rent in two why because now we can enter into the holy of holies and obtain grace and favor in a time of need That's a good thing. By faith, Abraham was justified before circumcision, before even the covenant. Abraham was justified, Romans 3.23, by faith. By faith. How did the Old Testament people get saved? By faith. How are we saved? By faith. Through grace. In Christ. Hallelujah. Come on. Those, point number two. Those in slavery bound in Egypt are now slaves of righteousness, bound in faith. Romans 6, 17 through 18. Hallelujah. Faith takes hold of the promised land. So we had the people of Egypt who left Egypt, but Egypt never left them. We are called to our exodus. And we are called to be like Caleb who said, give me my mountain. Come on, give me my mountain. I may be 80 years old, but I can take it. Those aren't, I'm not a grasshopper in those people's sights. Come on, give me my mountain. By faith, inherit the promise of God. The promise is there. But if you don't see your life transformed in Christ's identity, you're not going to have the faith to enter into the promise. You're You're going to slink back and say, it's not for me. God would never do that for me. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. I can't, I can't enter into that. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. God knew it so much that he sent his son, and he was crucified and beaten and bloodied and poured out for you and for me. God knows it. And when we say I'm not worthy, when we say I can't enter into the promise, we're saying, Jesus, you're not enough. That's what we're saying. Don't say that, friends. Don't ever look at yourself like that again. Understand Christ is enough. Christ is all in all. In Christ, we can do all things. And that all things means we can have the faith to believe we're righteous. Amen. Wow. Hallelujah. Come on. Christ is our Passover lamb, making us righteous with his blood. Now a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.18. And what did... Passover. This was so amazing. Jesus was crucified around Passover. What were they doing? What were they remembering? They're remembering their exodus. What happened in Passover? They took a spotless lamb without blemish, without broken bones. Jesus was a spotless lamb without blemish, without broken bones. They dipped that lamb and cut it open, put the hyssop in there, and they went on their doorpost, and they went like this. The sides of the doorpost. What is this? With the blood of the Lamb. And God passed over. That's Passover. And what was Jesus celebrating while he, the Lamb of God, was getting ready to be crucified for us? Passover. That is amazing. Isn't that just like, wow. Thank you, Lord. We do bless you. And we do thank you that you have passed over our sins by the blood of the Lamb. Not by our righteousness. Not by our good works. Not by what we could do. Not by our giftings but by the blood of the lamb. And the the blood of the lamb is eternally sufficient. Eternally, eternally sufficient. There is nothing less sufficient. He's eternally sufficient. Don't ever think my sin is too much. My sin is too great. It's just not barely covered. It's it's not even covered. No, it's eternally sufficient. One drop of blood from Jesus, the sinless, spotless lamb, covered the whole world. First John says he's the propitiation for all the sins of the world. So why aren't they all saved? Because they haven't grabbed by faith a hold of their promise. This is an amazing fact. The mother's blood is different than the baby's blood. They don't touch. And that's what I really argue with Abortion. They say, oh, it's just, oh, it's a, like a parasite. No. These people are darkened by sin. The baby's blood is separate from the mother's blood. The father's sperm determines and creates the blood. Who is God's father? Who is Jesus' father? God. So was his blood even human? His blood was divine. Every blo- drop of blood that hit the earth was not even touched by a human. It wasn't touched by Mary in her womb. It wasn't touched by any fallen nature. Christ is the second Adam because the first Adam transferred the bondage of sin through the lineages. What happened with Cain being a murderer? That sin just passed one generation to another, but that sin didn't touch the blood of Christ. That's holy blood. Righteous God's blood bled for us. Don't ever think that it's not enough. Hallelujah. Wow. Point number three: law-breaking sinners are now justified freely in grace, according to Romans 6:14. We're pardoned, but we're more than pardoned. I want to read Romans. <laughs> We've done a lot. Romans six seventeen through 18. Though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were now delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You've been justified. You've been slaves made holy. Hallelujah. Now, this is something very interesting. To be pardoned and forgiven is something we think Jesus did for us. Jesus pardoned my sin. Jesus forgave my sin. Well, if you live at that level, you're never going to truly know what Jesus did. You see, the President of the United States can pardon a criminal. The FBI and the CIA can pardon a criminal. They can get that criminal off and make that criminal work for them, but that criminal is always a criminal. Jesus did not pardon us. He justified us. Justification means it's as if you never sinned. Receive that. That's the power of Christ. You were justified by his blood. Hmm. Being Romans 3:25, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation, there's that word again, by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Didn't say forgiven, said justified. Huge difference. Justified, meaning you no longer are a sinner. Justified from all unrighteousness. And you, when you stand before Christ, you stand before God in justification. And he doesn't even see the sin that once was. You say, Lord, what about the day yesterday and this and that and all these sins? God says, what sin? I see the blood of my son. Justification is huge. Justification. Romans 5.8 says, While we were sinners, Christ died to set us free from sin. This is a huge thing of justified freely in grace. And finally, number four, Christ wore a crown of cursed thorns so we could wear the crown of life. Amen. So we've followed those thorns from the beginning of the curse all the way. Ask yourself, why did they put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head? Jesus wore the curse. Jesus wore the curse, and he broke it. So now we can have a crown of life when we stand before him. Hallelujah. We are now called children of the Most High God. We are redeemed from the curse of the law because Christ became a curse for us, Galatians 3.13 says. So here's the new attributes. Okay? Let's look at the attributes from before. Under Satan, fallen, slaves to sin, lawbreakers, cursed with thorns. Here's our new attributes. Made holy by faith, slaves to righteousness, justified freely in grace, wearing a crown of life. Wow. Thank you, Lord. You see, God gave a cool little example to me the other day. We were talking after church and Here's my driver's license, and it expired last year. And everybody says, here's Matt getting ready to preach a sermon, driving with an expired license. I didn't mean to. I wasn't trying to break the law. But guess what? We talked about the law doesn't care if you don't mean to. If You, you break it unintentionally. It's broken. And I'm like, uh-oh. And I thought for sure that I had gone to DMV or something and restored it. And I, you know, obviously I don't have it. Expired October 5th, 2016, so almost a year ago. And you know, some of you know I've gone with everything with the house and all that. And I'm like, maybe they sent it to the wrong place. I don't know. I lived outside of my house for almost a year. And then I'm getting a little nervous because mom's like, they can arrest people for that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, thanks, mom. And then I'm like, I just see myself driving a solid rock and the CHP behind me. And, you know, where's Matthew? Oh, he got arrested for an expired license. He was supposed to preach. Wow. Well, now so I'm like, oh, man. So I go to DMV yesterday, and almost three hours I finally get up there. And I'm thinking, you know, I was with a line of 50 people, and those people, after two hours, they're all gone. They all got served. I'm, I'm, I'm alone, and now a group of more people come in. I'm like, where's the people I was with? My soldiers in arms waiting in line at the DMV. They're all served, but I'm still waiting. And maybe it's because they're going to be like, this guy's been driving without a proper license for a year he calls himself a christian (laughs) oh man and so i get up to the to the counter and i'm like my license is expired (laughs) and she pulls it up and she's like oh no the fee was paid at the beginning of the year you're good to go here's yeah yeah all that worry right here's a temporary license we sent you the license to the wrong place Well, first of all, let me tell you, guilt had come in, and I had forgotten that the price was already paid. And I began to see myself as a lawbreaker, and I had evidence of breaking the law. And I I, I saw myself arrested, and I saw all this. But let me tell you something. This is temporary, because... The new license is on its way. This is evidence that the fee has been paid. So in the law, and the eyes of the law, I wasn't even pardoned because I wasn't a lawbreaker because the fee had been paid. Some of you don't understand that. (laughs) Hallelujah. You're looking at evidence. You're looking at a a broken license plate. You're looking at a broken license. You're looking at a, a broken life. And you're saying... I'm a sinner. You're saying, how could God love me? And God said, the price was paid in full by the blood of Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. And what did God give you? He gave you a down payment called the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is a down payment of what is to come. Paul says, he is in us, living in us and breathing through us, empowering us, our comforter, our counselor, showing us the life to come. Hallelujah. And that life that's on its way, the new license that's on its way, is the final chapter of the new life in Christ. The life we're working and striving. No, we're not working and striving. The life we're trying to earn. No, we're not trying to earn. The life we're trying to pay by church service and no. The life you're resting in right now in the Holy Ghost, righteousness and truth, because he paid it all. And it's on its way. The new nature is already here. And your glorified life in Christ is where we are going forever with him. Hallelujah. And we have the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Praise God. Wow. Wow. Hallelujah. Let's stand up and let's pray. Cole, help me pray. Let's whoever wants to come to the altar.